This is Show Up as a Leader, a show from People Forward Network, helping you maximize your positive impact on the world by becoming your best, fully authentic self. Hey, everyone. Let me just tell you right now, you are probably going to want to listen to this conversation more than once. You might want to have pen and paper. Besides, it was a whole lot of fun. There are so many amazing nuggets of wisdom in my conversation with the incredible Leah Rowe. She is the founder of a company called The Perk, and they do similar to what we do at Saleo Partners, leadership coach, organizational trust expert. She really helps companies improve their leadership, improve their culture, and they're doing just some amazing, amazing things to help create more human workplaces. And I I just love the work they're doing. There's such synergy. And she starts off by sharing her story that I think many of us can relate to when you're feeling down and you're feeling like this is like the worst day of your life or a crappy thing of a perspective shift. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but I just think we all can relate to it. And you're going to want to listen to our conversation around three coaching skills that any of us can leverage and apply in our life to be better, period. There's such richness and such humanness and a lot a lot of laughter as well. So I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did. So we're just going to dive right in and I would love it if you share some of the backstory of the perk and why you are so passionate about humanness. Let me take you back to yesteryear when the perk was started. So long story short, I actually started out my career as a CPA, which is very odd that now I'm in the human development space, how I made that transition. But I started my career as a CPA and worked in public accounting and ended up working as a VP of finance and operations at a health tech company here in Madison. And on my very first day as VP of Finance and Operations, my CEO came into my office and said, hey, Leah, no one here is doing people ops. Do you think that you could do people ops? And I said, for sure. It takes no training. (laughs) I ran over to my computer and Googled, what is people ops? And that was how I got into the world of people operations, but also people development, human development, culture development, leadership development. And I became totally, totally obsessed and realized that while I was a good accountant and VP of finance, people loved me in that role because I could talk about numbers in a human way that made you not want to gouge your eyes out. While I was good at that, my true calling, my true passion was in the human and leadership development space. So as we grew at that company, I transitioned out of finance and operations and became the VP of people and culture. And it was also during that time that I had my first child. And so I went out on maternity leave and we were a remote first company. My baby was two months old. I was still on maternity leave and I was called into the office, which was weird to be called into the office at a remote first company, but then also weird to be called in on maternity leave. So obviously in my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm such a big deal. They like cannot live without me. They need my help with something. Turns out. We had hit a financial hardship. Well, you know, it happens in business, but especially when you work in a startup. And they had a reduction in force, and my position was eliminated. My husband wasn't working at the time. So we had gone from being totally, completely fine to having no insurance, no income, a newborn, and no idea what to do. So I got in the car, called my husband, said, Hey, can you meet me at the Laurel Tavern, which was our local dive bar? 
And it was 10 a.m. It was also the first day our nanny had started. So she was probably like, great. You're paying me to watch your child while you go to the bar at 10 a.m. But we sat at the bar and I told him what happened. And I said, you know what? This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I called my sister and I said, Gwen, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's just a huge roadblock. And Dan, my husband, said to me, Leah, what if this is not the worst thing? What if this is the best thing that's ever happened to you? And my sister said, Leah, what if this isn't a roadblock? What if this is a catapult? What if this was meant to happen to get you to where you are meant to be and want to be in life faster than you ever thought possible? And I mean, I'd been a mindset practitioner for years, but it was really in that moment that I realized the power of choosing my mindset. And I decided to not stay in the, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. This is a roadblock. I decided to choose the mindset of what if this is the best thing? What if this is my catapult? And so I was laid off on October 4th and I started the perk on October 5th. And that's how we got started. And we've been around now for almost five years. We're from your leadership and culture development studio, and we are experts in all things humanness. I birthed a real baby and a business baby within months of each other. I remember when you were telling me this story, and I get it, it is what it is, but like how anti-human. You're literally on maternity leave. Could you not have waited a month or something? I know. At the same time, I feel like, you know, thinking about humanness, I actually think it was the most human thing for them to do to lay me off. To not have me have my last month of maternity leave, be worrying about coming back to work and then coming back and then them laying me off. They also could have, I was the VP of people and culture. They could have had me come back, clean up the mess and then laid me off. So really, I see it as a very human thing that they laid me off when they did. I remember when I was on maternity leave with my son, my boss at the time came to my house because they were a regional firm and they joined with this larger national firm. And while I was on maternity leave, I had to like re-sign non-competes and all this crap. And I remember having this thought of, do I really want to? But like, you're kind of feeling trapped in my boss, the city in my house, meeting my baby. And it's so interesting because you think about maternity leave or parental leave in general and humanness and like a really human thing, you know, is to leave people alone while they're on those leaves. And also one of the things that we do for companies is we actually do parental leave coaching. And so I also see that as a really human thing where companies bring us in to coach new parents, birthing and non-birthing partners before they go on leave, a few sessions while they're on leave to process the emotions and this new life they have and how their values have shifted. And then also coaching sessions when they come back from leave, because that's also a big transition too. Well, that's awesome that you do that. And I love that you had people that are like, hey, what if this isn't a roadblock? And what I appreciate is that it doesn't matter if we're practitioners of this and teach others. We are all human and we all get in our own way. And whenever people talk about stuff like this, like Viktor Frankl comes to mind with his quote of, you know, when we can't change our circumstances, we're forced to change ourselves. And it's like, that's exactly what happens and it's not about toxic positivity. Maybe this is one of those junctures or those sliding door moments or whatever, where you're like, I can choose a different destiny or I can carve a different path because nobody should have to go through the crap that I went through. And so I think sometimes when we're in it, it's hard to see it. But when we have some, you know, removed or we have someone who calls us on our junk and challenges our mindset for us, it allows us to go, oh, this could be a catapult. You make such a good point that I wasn't getting myself unstuck in that moment. And I think it's such a loving thing that you can do for somebody to 
yes, listen to them, but then also get curious with them and suggest, what if you look at it from a different perspective? Because it was my sister and my husband that really helped me to shift my mindset. And like you said, it's not toxic positivity though. Mindset work and shifting your mindset is not always to just be happy. It's to help you see that there are possibilities and it puts you in the driver's seat so that you have choice. Because I could choose to stay in a space where I didn't feel great. And I have made that choice before. Sometimes like I know that if I shift my mindset on something, I'll feel better, but I'm not ready yet. I need to feel my feelings. <laughs> you know? If we don't let ourselves feel feelings, even the unpleasant ones, we can't effectively process them. So there's something to be said where it's like, look, I know that I am totally in a venting, you know, crappy mood right now. And I need to just let myself be here. I know that I will eventually pull myself out of it or I will find help to pull me out of it. But like, I need to just be in this upset right now. And that's also okay. I feel like the key to life is knowing that your thoughts create your feelings, which drive your actions and ultimately your results. And that you have a choice over your mindset. It's like, that's key. Number one, key number two is being able to feel your feelings. When you know that your mindset like that is the thing and you have control over it and you know how to feel your feelings. That's how you get the most out of life for sure. Being supportive and being helpful for people is not just, oh, it'll be okay, which is actually an empathy miss. So that's not helpful mm -hmm. for people when they're in the middle of an upset, but calling them to greatness to say, well, hey, what if you thought about this way? Or, hey, what if you thought about that way? And I was thinking that I had an employee who got really mad at me. Like I was trying to have coaching conversations and help her see where she was getting in her own way and not showing up great. And she said something about, well, I thought that you said you had our backs and was trying to like throw this at me. And I said, me having your back is not enabling behavior that is actually hindering you having the impact you want to have. Me having your back is not keeping quiet about stuff that is a fatal flaw or that is causing havoc. You know, it's telling the truth with kindness and we all need those people in our life. Like, obviously, you and I are both trained and certified coaches, and there's a whole skill set. But there's aspects of coaching that any one of us can leverage to be that for somebody else and to really show up as a leader, meaning we're maximizing our positive impact around us. And again, this is not discounting the value of trained coaching, but any one of us can use these principles in parenting or with our colleagues or whatever to help create a more human world. So let's talk about what some of those are. Absolutely. And honestly, I think that coaching is the most human loving thing you can do for somebody. So I'm excited to talk about some of these coaching skills. So the first like one of the foundational skills of coaching is curiosity, right? Is not having the answers, but having questions. And I think that that is something you learn and are trained in when you're a certified coach. But that's the first skill that I teach to all leaders in any of our leadership development or coaching programs is how to become more curious, help the people that you're leading discover the answers for themselves. So in the coaching that I'm trained and certified in through Coactive, we see everyone as naturally creative, resourceful, and whole, and that you have the answers within you. I don't have the answers. I don't know what is going to make your life the best life possible, but you know. And so it's my job as your coach to get curious, to ask questions, to listen, to hold space, and help you discover what the right answers are for you. And I apply that so much to leadership because 
to be a great leader, we can't just tell our people what to do or fix their problems or be consultants for them. We really need to shift our mindset. We don't need to be the expert. What if we're curious instead and ask them, what's important about this for you? What's effective about this strategy for you? What's holding you back? Because what's holding one employee back could be totally different than another employee. And so it's really focusing on you know, coaching the person and not the problem. We also start everything with mindset and with curiosity and, and recognizing when we're on this more curious learner type of a mindset versus when we're stuck judging and attached to our self-righteousness and attached to the rightness of our story as if the way we see something is true and accurate and how can we kind of poke holes in that and create a common language around that. So I love that. And, and you know, as you're talking about being curious, I also think, God, who is the author? It's Charles Jacobs, Management Rewired. And he talked about, you know, flipping on its head to say, instead of telling people what to do, ask them what they think should be done. Or even if you think about feedback, rather than jumping in with here, I'm assessing your performance or telling you how you did it. What do you think went well? What do you think could have been better? And drawing it out of people, because then you might find a lot of times we don't really need to say something, even with parenting sometimes, but it's hard because our instinct as human beings is to cling to what's familiar, which means clinging to what we think is right, which means clinging to our stories. And most of the time they're flawed and self-sabotaging and wrong. So it takes a lot of willingness to be vulnerable, I think, to lean into curiosity. 100%. And like we've been taught and trained and rewarded for having answers our entire lives. So, I mean, I started out my career as a CPA. I was basically told straight out of college, I was auditing banks. I was talking to CFOs of banks. And I was basically told if they ask you a question, have an answer. And I'm like, well, I don't know what the right answer is. So like, it's worse to not have an answer than to have the wrong answer. And that, so it took a lot of unlearning for me to be like, wait a minute, that is not, no. That is such crappy advice. Like, I would rather someone say, you know, I think I know, but I'm not 100%. Let me go find that out rather than blow smoke up my butt. With curiosity, it is such a powerful builder of trust and relationships. When you're genuinely, authentically curious with somebody, like, that's when you connect with people. So it's not just, oh, use it for coaching. It's this is how you connect with people. This is how you get to know people. This is how you build trust with people. And one of the things I want to say about curiosity, like a pro tip is asking what questions. Like that's how you can really get in that genuinely curious space because why and how questions are not necessarily bad, but I'm sure as you know, it sometimes people feel like they get defensive, like there's a right or a wrong answer when someone's asking them why. And so they have to prove something. So if you ask what questions, it's more open, it's more expansive. And I've even started doing that with my children. My daughter's four and a half. And instead of saying, how was school? I'll ask, what made you laugh today? What made you sad today? You know, when I ask these what questions, I actually get pointed answers. And I learn so much more about her and her life and how she sees the world as opposed to like, how was school? Fine. I think sometimes how questions, though, it can be, well, how does that show up for you? So I think when you jump to like, how are you going to do it? You're asking it too soon because if you spend time in curiosity and help someone sit with their thinking a little bit longer and help them expand their thinking and get clarity about what's important, what's going on, processing, the the next step, the do or the how to will emerge. And if you feel like you have to ask it, it's your action bias taking over and you're jumping too soon. And so I think that there's sometimes it can be like, well, how does that show up for you? Or how else are you seeing this can be curiosity. I think it's 
no pun intended, it's how you ask how question that can either lead to like a short circuiting that curiosity, but why's for sure. Like think about if someone says, well, why did you do that? You instantly want to defend. Get rid of the why questions. Know your why, but get rid of the why questions. It's so funny. Whenever I'm training, you know, leaders on curiosity, those what questions are hard because we are so comfortable with why questions and how questions. So it's like, if you want to get better at curiosity, try asking more what questions. Focus on that. Like start there. Okay. So curiosity is like the first coaching skill we all can use to be better humans and to maximize our impact. What else? What's another coaching skill that any of us could use? Curiosity is one side of the coin. Other side is listening. So when you ask those great questions, those expansive questions, then it comes to listening. And it's funny because listening is a skill most of us were born to do right here, people. But listening is so much more than just hearing what's going on. So um, in Coactive Coaching, we talk about the three levels of listening. And so level one listening is you're all in your head. You're really not listening to what the other person is saying. You are listening to respond, not to understand. And when I first learned about level one listening, I was like, oh my gosh, this is how I listen with my husband. I don't even really listen to what he's saying. I'm just like, gosh, I'm going to make such a good point. And I would say something and he's like, Leah, I literally just said that. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's like, even though you're making eye contact with the person, you're not really listening to them because you are trying to solve the problem in your head and just give a response. So that's level one. Level two is when you understand you're listening to what the other person is saying, but it could be like, I could say, Rosie, I am so excited. And I'm like, "Uh, I'm calling BS on that because your voice tone doesn't match that. But a lot of times when we're at level two, we're like, okay, like Leah's excited to be here. That's what she just said. Great. Level three is you're bringing in the global listening where you're listening to what's being said and what's not being said. So you're listening to tone, body language, energy, everything. You're listening also to yourself. What's happening for you as this person is saying this thing? And so that's really the listening space that you want to be in as a leader, as a parent, as a friend, as a human. True human listening is fully looking at the person, holding that space for them. You could also be on the phone, but you're truly listening for what's being said and also what's not being said. Somebody takes a long sigh, for example, you can say like, ooh, what was that? So you're listening to all the things. Yeah. There's so many different ways to refer to listening. I've heard the five loves of listening. I know in one of my coaching trainings, we talk about listening to assess or fix versus listening to solve versus listening with a spirit of service and you know everything in between. So I love all that. And I think it's so much easier said than done though, because going back to this action bias and why it's so hard to not ask the why or the how questions, as you put it, is that we do have this action bias, but we also have a discomfort, I think, with the vulnerability of staying in the question. Like, what is that Albert Einstein quote? If I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes like exploring it and only five minutes in action. You know, it is uncomfortable to just sit in that space, but that's where clarity comes. That's where magic comes in. What I'll say to people is, okay, have you ever been on the receiving end of well-intended, but either unsolicited advice, like you're sharing something very vulnerable and they're like, oh my God, I know exactly how you feel. Or they start going the, oh, it'll be okay. Versus your friends that are like, what if this was a catapult? And you feel 
Like it violates a core human need that we all have to feel heard and seen and that we matter. And so I love that you also are passionate about listening because it is a skill and we all can get better at it. There's time like, oh God, I'm level one listening when my son starts talking about video games or I level one listen when my husband starts talking about golf. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a bid for connection. Maybe I should lean in even though I don't care about the topic, but I care about the person. We all have areas where we can be better, but it's not just listening to a podcast, no pun intended. It's not reading a book. You have to practice it. Yeah. And it is a skill. It is something you have to actively do. So you also need a break from it. You can't live your entire day asking powerful questions and being in level three listening. Like I do that as a coach. It's a tiring job. You need to fill up your own cup. You need to rest. And so it can be hard because you should level three listen right to everyone in your life, people at work and people at home, but it's an active thing you do. And, you know, there's an analogy I love to use with the three levels of listening that, you know, people have found helpful and it's in terms of a flashlight. And so if you're in level one listening, it's like you have the flashlight and it's pointed towards you. Everything is focused on you and how you're processing the information and what it means to you. Level two listening is like you turn the flashlight around and you have a focus on the other person. And then level three is like, you know, those flashlights that like the front of it, you could like twist it and all of a sudden like a beam of light. That's level three where you're like, now I'm taking in everything. So just notice for yourself when you're in a conversation, where's that flashlight pointing? Are you only in your head and processing the information for you? Or are you focused on the other person and what they're saying and their body language and all that? This is how you help people feel seen, heard, and valued. Because I'm sure for all of us, we've been in a meeting or something where clearly we were not okay we were composing ourselves enough to like say the words, but like it feels really hard to not be seen that somebody doesn't call out like, hey, what's going on? You know, it's like you just want to be seen in those moments. Absolutely. And what's so interesting is I think that as our world gets more disruptive, we have almost lost or dampened our ability to be curious, and to take the time and space to hear and see other people. Because either we're so busy and frantic or that the anxiousness has taken over or we become myopically me-focused mainly because it's unsettling and it's vulnerable to be other-focused because what if they say something that I don't know what to deal with? Or what if they say something I don't have the answers? We are so neurobiologically hardwired to be in connection. We are a social species. And all of these miss opportunities, like listening with a level one or not being curious erodes that. And I think we just see disconnectedness growing. Like if you're going to improve your workplace culture, your leadership effectiveness, your team culture, your household culture, for that matter, you've got to be able to equip people with the skills and tools to be able to be more curious and listen more with that ability to understand, like you said, that fog light or that broad spectrum light versus even just that focus spotlight. You know, something you were saying there too, like the stories we tell ourselves of, you know, what if I don't have the time? What if they say something that makes me uncomfortable? So much of that is our mindset and like us not being okay, not having answers. If you can get okay, not having to be the one to have the answers, so much more possibility opens up. So I would suggest for people that have that if that's holding you back from being curious and listening to people because you don't know if you're going to be able to help them, I suggest shifting it to like, what if exactly what they need is just somebody to be there 
to listen to them and just be objective and hold space for them? Like, what if that's all they need? What if you are exactly what they need right now? It's such a gift when people listen to us with that level three listening, because it's so lacking. And you're right. Sometimes that's exactly what people need. And I would also even riff on that further is that I think many times we actually add more value by asking good questions, not by having the answers. I mean, as a consultant, I ask a boatload of questions of my clients and prospective clients because I'm trying to understand, well, tell me how this fits in. Tell me what you've done because I don't want to reinvent the wheel. That doesn't help anybody. I don't want to undo something that's working for them. Every company is different. Every leader is different. And I think asking those good questions, what you'll see is that sometimes it then creates a space for people to start thinking and they maybe thought about stuff that they didn't when they first came to you. And you're like, oh, that's a good point. And it elevates everybody. It makes everybody better. Yeah, there's this quote, I don't know who said it, but it's like, what if your greatest power is not in the answers that you have, but in the questions that you ask? And I always love to think about that in the work that we do, but also for leaders. What if, you know, you've graduated to this point of leadership, like what if now your greatest value to this organization is not in the answers you have, but is in the questions that you're able to ask and developing everyone around you to discover what the answers are for themselves. Bam. Mic drop. Love that. Bam. Okay. So third skill kind of like goes hand in hand with curiosity and listening, but it is holding a safe, objective, non-judgmental space. You can't be genuinely authentically curious to someone and listen to them. They're not going to want to talk if they don't feel safe in the space with you, if they don't feel like you're going to be objective, or if they feel like you have an agenda. And so being able to hold a safe space where it's not about you, it's about them, and you can be objective. I always, I don't know why I thought that people can just do it, but it's not. It is a skill. It's something you have to practice. We as humans like to judge things and we like to categorize things. So it is something you have to work on to remove judgment and just allow somebody to be in the space and to process their emotions and have their own perspectives and opinions and say the things that they need to say and to be listened to and just held in a loving way. Not like physically held. I'm not saying you have to like hug all the people you're talking to, but you want to. I'm into it. Love hugging. The non-judgment part is a key part of the anatomy of trust as well. If you're going to have high trust with yourself, but also high trust with others, can you hold that space of non-judgment where I'm not going to judge, but I'm curious then like what's happening? What are you experiencing? Whatever is going on, they're all intertwined, but all of it not only I think enhances the relationship, I think it's just going to enhance trust as well between two people. You get to see the absolute best in people when they feel safe. When you're in HR, sometimes you see some really not great sides of people because people get in survival mode, you know, with you're not in compliance, you're not living up to expectations, like all of these things. You see that in coaching, I get to see the absolute best sides of people, them as their best selves because they feel safe. They're in a safe space where they can explore, they can say what they're thinking about, but it's so amazing because I truly see the absolute best sides of people and it's because they feel safe. If we could create more safe spaces for all the people in our lives, like 
that's when people get to truly be themselves. And when people are truly themselves, they're freaking rock stars. Like it's amazing. I coach so many different people. So I don't even know some of the people that I'm going to be coaching with before we start. And once that safe space is created and that trust is built, I am just absolutely, utterly obsessed with every single client that I have. I'm not joking. Like I love the shit out of all the people that I coach. And getting to see them in that space where they feel safe, where it's objective, where they know there's no judgment, where they are courageous, it's magic. And if you could have that for everyone that you work with or at home, like, I mean, that's when the world's just going to start on fire. I think you bring up a good point is that so many people are in survival mode right now. If we think about the disruption and the chaos and there's been just a nonstop you know, string of crises for the past three plus years. And it's taking a toll on people. I think people are in survival mode and they don't realize it. And then what happens is leaders end up passing judgment, right? And they might jump to you're in trouble. And it's not about excusing poor behavior, but there's an opportunity to be curious. And I'll be honest, my favorite coaching is the proactive coaching. But make no mistake, a lot of times it's, hey, this provider, this leader, this whoever is struggling there's been complaints or whatever, don't have maybe a check the box. If you actually see potential in this person and you want to help them get out of their own way, that's a conversation I'm willing to have. I'm not willing to be the, oh, as part of your performance improvement plan, check the box. But I always say I'm not a magic wand. Like I hold a safe space. I will build trust, but they have to be willing to do the work. And there are some times where no matter what I do, you can just tell the person is not. And lovingly as a coach, I'm like, look, this is not for you. I get this is too scary. No, so I'm like, yeah, kind of is. When you're ready, let's retalk. Yeah. But like, don't waste my time. Don't waste yours. But I have seen the most amazing things happen of someone who has been in trouble, behaving badly. And when you take the opportunity to listen and hold a safe space, because no one's done that for them. They're in protective survival mode. They let their guard down and they lean in to the process and it is transformative. So in some respects, those are almost my favorite because I'm like, oh my gosh, look at how far you've come. And they're like, you made a difference in my personal life and I'm a better spouse and I'm a better parent. And every single one of us, if we be more curious in our life, if we hold safe spaces for people and say, hey, I'm a safe place to land and I'm not going to judge you and I'm going to listen to you and be that person for you, you and I would probably be out of a job, but our world would be rocking. I guess a bonus tip, if you will, that will help you with all of this, eliminate distractions. Distractions are what get in the way of us being genuinely curious, of us being able to listen at a level three, of us being able to hold a safe, non-judgmental space. So put your phone down, silence your notifications. It's like, those are the things that pull us out. I was reading a book. It's called The Power of Fun. It's really good. And a line she had there, I love, it says, distraction destroys connection. And I was like, yes, that sums it up. And so when you are coaching someone or just holding that space, being curious and listening, it's about connection. It's about trust building. If you are looking at your phone, if you are answering emails while you're talking to them, like you are destroying trust, you are destroying connection. So you can't be curious. You can't level three listen. You can't hold a safe, non-judgmental space if you are distracted. And one of the things, like we'll do permission slips at the start of like workshops and people say, oh, I'm going to give myself permission to silence my email notifications or turn off my Slack. And what I always say is that's awesome. And why is it just during this time that we're doing this work together? Why do we let our email, for example, dictate our attention for the day? Like why not be in it? 
once or twice a day and have set times where you're going to get back to people. Or you know what, if you're in a meeting, silence so the chat's not coming up because you need to give the people in the meeting, whether it's one or more individuals, the gift of your full presence. And it also benefits us too. And so I think in a virtual environment, I'm only going to focus on one thing at a time. I've told my team, if something's truly urgent, text me. And guess what? If I'm not responding, I'm probably in the middle of a coaching session or something, but know that I will get back to you because I'm not in my email all day long because it doesn't allow you to focus and be productive. This can't be just something that you do. It can be powerful, but this is a cultural thing. So it's like you as a company establish some clear expectations when it comes to your culture around distractions during meetings, during one-on-ones. Like there's no award for being on Slack all day answer Slack twice a day. But other than that, like do deep work. So we do set those expectations and we hold each other accountable to it too. I get called out, which is good. People should call us out. Like, absolutely. All right. So we started this conversation with you talking about your mindset. So I want to shift gears a little bit because as you know, I am obsessed with normalizing the messiness of being human. So I would love, Leah, if you would share what is a self-limiting story that you still tell yourself sometimes and when it shows up, how do you move beyond it so that you can still show up as a leader in your life? I mean, the biggest self-limiting story that I continue to tell myself is that I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not fast enough. I don't know business savvy enough. I'm not funny enough. You know, that it always comes to, I'm not going to be able to do it. Whatever it is, I won't be able to do it because I'm not enough. So what I do is I hold the space for it. I found that for myself, just being like, ninja chop, get out of here, doesn't work. (laughs) You know, the self-limiting belief, saboteur, whatever you want to call it, I do believe that sometimes these stories show up because they want to protect us. Just unfortunately, poor little thought. Mm, I just don't need your protection in that way anymore. So I hold space for it. Honestly, I show gratitude towards it. Thank you for showing up. I'm sure you're trying to keep me safe, but yes, my dreams are big. They're a little bit scary. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm probably going to fall. I'm probably going to fail. So that's kind of how I handle it is I hold space for it. I get curious with it. I listen to it. I basically coach it show some gratitude. And then I shift my mindset. I decide, okay, is that the thought that's going to serve me today? Or what thought do I want instead? And then I usually choose a thought like, I am so freaking unstoppable. Let's go. And some days it's easier to do that shift. And some days the entire day is taken by the I'm not enough. And that's okay. That's the messiness of being human. Every day is a little bit different. I say something similar like, thank you for trying to keep me safe. I know it's my five-year-old self and thank you, sweetie, you're safe. And I have a Rosie's Empowerment playlist and I'm just going to like, I'm going to listen and listen and listen until something gives me that you're unstoppable, you know, and even if I have to listen for three hours while I'm working, like it's going to kick in eventually. I love music. Also like power posing actually does like do it for me, you know, like the standing, like a superhero. And I mean, also like my community, like I lean on people. I'll tell like, you know, my coworkers, my husband, my friends, I'll be like, I just feel like a total garbage human today. And then they know that it's not like necessarily coaching mode, but like I need like a cheerleader champion here. I'm like, you're freaking amazing. You can totally do this. Love it. All right. Are you ready for quick questions? Okay, I'm ready. Fill in the blank. Living authentically is? Confetti. It's pure confetti. It's love. It's celebration. It's everything. 
I have never heard it described as confetti, but I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> okay. When the world is presenting an opening, but you don't feel like showing up as a leader, what do you do? I want to say some days I show up anyway, and some days I stay in bed and process my emotions. (laughs) (laughs) Depends on the day. Hey, that's totally fair. I like that. All right, Leah, what is something people would be surprised to know about you? I actually like spending a lot of time alone which is surprising to a lot of people because they're like, oh, I thought you were such an extrovert and you're just like doing stuff all the time. But I actually, in this stage of my life, I love solitude. So recharging. All right. What's your favorite go-to movie? My favorite go-to movie is Love Actually, all year round. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. All right. What's your go-to song? My go-to song is right now it's unstoppable by sia again this unstoppable mood i'm in all right what is something you can't live without oh my family my children and my husband betty and Maisie and dan they are they are truly they're the best i love it what is something in your ordinary daily life that makes your heart happy Ooh, hot coffee all day long well how do you take it do you put anything in it do you just have it black Black coffee. And my sister, she owns a coffee roastery. It's the best coffee in the world. Kin Kin. So I drink Kin Kin coffee all day long. It's so funny. My husband drinks coffee black. I have to put creamer in it. And in fact, this morning, we literally ran out of coffee creamer. And I was like, I'm in my pajamas running to the grocery store at 6 a.m. to get coffee creamer so I could have my coffee. Like, he's like, just drink it black. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. That does not work for me. Yeah, I had to learn how to drink coffee black because when I was a CPA and we were auditing, we were drinking coffee all the time and I was doing creamer. And I was like, I am weirdly gaining weight from all this coffee consumption. So I learned to drink a black. <laughs> I just do like two cups in the morning and then I'm good. So. Okay. What are you grateful for right now? Honestly, I've been sick for like three months. Our kids are both in daycare. They're bringing back all the things. I've been practicing a lot of gratitude, honestly, for the sicknesses that we've had because it's forced me to slow down. It's forced me to truly listen to my body and just stay in bed. And it's forced me to be a more human, genuine leader by showing that like, when we are sick, we rest and take care of ourselves. And that's really hard for me because I like to just push through it. But it's not helpful for me. It's not helpful for my family. And it's not helpful for my team for them to see like, okay, when we're sick, we're just supposed to like keep pounding the pavement. Okay. So last question. If you could challenge leaders everywhere to practice this one behavior that would create more human workplaces and equip everyone to show up as a leader, what would that be? Eliminate distractions. Do it. Eliminate distractions. It's going to open up so much more opportunity for connection with your people. And that's what everyone needs right now. I'm Rosie Ward, and this is Show Up as a Leader. To learn more, head over to peopleforwardnetwork.com, and of course, hit that follow button.